This is quantization. Hello and welcome to Art Series from Quantization Podcast. In this series, we are talking about art and inclusion. I am Kava Ashwarya, and in this episode, I am talking to Sin Rosaboom, the artist and the executive director of Tangle Art Plus Disability. Colin Clark is my co-host on this episode and the rest of the art series. Short after the outbreak, we face all the limitations and realities in podcast production during the pandemic. We have no access to our studio and social distancing measures prevent us from sitting in one place with all participants. The biggest challenge is the recording quality and logistics. At the same time, it is an opportunity to explore and experience new possibilities. We are more flexible in accessing and contacting people beyond geographical consideration. We decided to keep working on new topics and sacrifice our quality a bit. While we are all dealing with the consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic, we cannot deliver at our audio quality standards. In return, we will expand on areas just mentioned Ariel to compensate for the lack of in-person conversation experience. While we live in a new reality, I am recording from my condo in Toronto. Colin will be with us from his place in Toronto. I'm Colin Clark. I'm the Associate Director of the Inclusive Design Research Center at OCAD University in Toronto. And right now I'm on this podcast with you from my basement in the city and where I've been for the past three or four months. And our guests join us from any location and time zone. This is episode 12, Art and Disability. The floor is yours, but don't forget to introduce yourself first. I'm Colin Clark. I'm the Associate Director of the Inclusive Design Research Center at OCAD University. Um, And I'm also an artist. I I have a a video art practice where I'm very interested in the relationship between uh, sound and image and in ideas of multimodality that become, you know, really crucial in an accessibility practice, thinking about how you make one mode of perception, sight into sound, sound into sight. And I'm interested, you know, as an artist in the ways that, that maybe these different media don't translate. So they, they might not be communicative or translational, but that they bounce off each other and, and irritate and bother each other in ways that is productive and creative. And most of my, my videos are in some way connected to music, yet totally silent. I'm Sin Rosebone. I'm the executive director of Tangled Art Plus Disability, which is a 16-year-old arts group uh, dedicated to disability arts and deaf-mad disabled artists. I am in my corner of my house right now, trying to find some quiet so that I don't have children barge in although a cat might join at some point. And um, since we're talking about art, I would consider myself an artist. I I write, I've done some poetry and plays in the past, although I, even though I'm working as an arts administrator, I really do consider what I do now 
to be a form of artistry in terms of, but the medium is humans and, and community and how we sort of take what is envision what we could be and then sort of like try to mold it in some way, working with the medium. And that's me. Well, I have lots of lots of questions, and then hopefully you have things you want to talk about or questions as well. But maybe I mean, if you'll forgive me for starting in a very linear way, but maybe we start at the beginning, and you can you can tell us more about what Tangled Arts is and and how it came about, maybe why it came about as well. Sure. Well, Tangled when it started some sixteen years ago, it was actually originally the Abilities Art Festival. It was a annual festival um, that was showcasing disabled artists. You know, Tangled has developed over over the one and a half decades that we've been around. It's developed um, very much in uh, in sync with the, the movement in disability justice as, uh, as a social movement. So when Tangled started, it was perhaps a little bit more based in something of a medical model, like, you know, people from outside the community looking at, like, trying to be generous and and uh, helpful, whereas as time has passed and disability justice movement has really tried to really own disability and deafness, madness, as sources of pride and as a community that deserves and can have its own voice for its own sake... Tangled has also developed alongside with that. So we went from being an annual festival that was sort of showcasing artists, um, it, you know, wonderful, wonderful activities, wonderful artists. But as we moved along, it became clear that we wanted to have more of a disability-led organization. A few years ago, when, when, when we f- first hired the first disabled artistic director, Eliza Chandler, who's uh, amazing. There was a whole movement to actually have more uh, deaf, mad, disabled individuals at, in the leadership positions. And that was a real, that was a, a real conscious choice. Um, at the same time, it was Tangled rebranded as Tangled Art Plus Disability. Um, Eliza had, in, in describing why Tangled described the name as something like it's 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 a bit of a mess it's but it's not a knot it's something that's that's complicated and you can untangle it if you want but it also has its its own unusual beauty so it's it's this complicated beautiful chaos <laughs> which works well i think for the sort of the aesthetic that a lot of of, of our activities uh, hold so now that this point for the last three years we've had a gallery at 401 richmond uh tangled art gallery so we've really focused our energy around um having exhibitions there but we still do have our toes in a lot of other mediums uh we work with a lot of partnerships with other groups and um yeah, we're always open. We're, we're a group that's always morphing and, and changing and adapting to what's happening in the world. I, I love this this metaphor of tangled and thinking, you know, it, it seems to me that identity and identifying in particular ways is a big part of the tangled community. Um, and yet also one of the things that's always struck me about your work is the way you create alliances 
um, with other uh, community groups. So connections with the queer community, the um, indigenous artists, um, and looking at the kind of intersection of those those identities. So also tangled in the sense of um, it's not just one one community or one uh, group, but tangled with the lives of, of other people as well. Can you talk more about the role of, of, of sort of relationships with other communities and how you're identifying as a, a, a community for people with disabilities, uh, the deaf and mad communities as well? How does that fit in terms of your interest in partnering and connecting with other work as well? Identity is is such a big, complicated issue, and none of us are just any one thing. Um, and and disability, even within disability, it's not cohesive. It's 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 infinitely complicated. So I mean, to to look at the intersections with other identities is just a natural uh, a natural fit. I think it's really important for Tangled um, that that we connect. If, if our mandate is to say, look, the people on the fringe, the people who have been sort of relegated to the fringes, we're not broken. We're not wrong. We don't need to be fixed. We have you, we have great insights, and the only way that you, you sort of like get people to know that is by actually sharing. And I think when you're trying to make change in the world. You have a number of options. We emphasize kindness and compassion and sharing and challenging ourselves as well as others. And you can't do that if you operate in a silo. We don't, we don't come at what we try to do from a place of guilt or shaming or, you know, you know that, that can be a tool, but that's not what we're interested in. We're, we're really interested in making, opening our hearts and opening other people's hearts to the, to the beautiful possibilities of people and, and what unique perspectives can bring. And again, we, we can only do that if you actually connect and, and try to understand others. So that's, that's bringing our, our community out and bringing our, in, the people that are within our community and getting them out there and feel, making them feel empowered enough to share their stories with, uh, with people that might not, they might have felt disenfranchised from before um, and it's also about tangle tangle doesn't you know we we work with the world we are part of the world we we have to connect with the communities around us so that, i don't know if that answered the question <laughs> sorry it, it did and, and more <laughs> um, when we were talking about doing this podcast you, you also mentioned this the kind of sense that that tangled certainly when it got a space in you know in the 401 uh, Richmond building and had, had a gallery but that also became a, a sort of safe space safe space for people to to come and talk about issues and other things so more more than a gallery in some way um, what's that like I mean that's 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 where you work every day at least before the pandemic so what's it like to have a have an environment like that it's it's actually it's such a joy it it truly is and and you're right it's 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 a gallery but so often it morphs into a, it's a community space and people i mean sometimes we joke that there's times when it becomes like this this social uh <laughs> these these sharing sessions in the back often in our little tiny little sliver of an office in the back which <laughs> and just becomes this like like this mutual therapy session that we're all just uh dishing or sometimes sometimes it's just absolutely ridiculous because we all tend to have um a pretty dry sense of humor which we make each other laugh a lot 
it's lovely to have. We now that we we have our staff is a hundred percent deaf matter disability identified. There's a real sense of um, of camaraderie and ownership. It's a space for us to feel okay about who, we, who about being who we are, and it does translate to the feeling of the space itself. So, so I think I mentioned to you last time that we fairly frequently, we get people that will come through and then there might be a tour and the tour will come and they'll look at the art and then there'll be like one or two people that'll hang back. So yeah, it is, it is definitely more than just a gallery. The, the gallery is great, but having that open door is, um, it's wonderful for people to just walk in and be with us. I want to talk in a bit about, um, you know, how this sense of community and, you know, uh, working entirely with artists uh, with disabilities and others, what that, how that influences the art and works that you have in mind. But I'm, you know, just thinking about the, there's something, something you've touched on that sounds like it's at the core of your identity, which is that it's, it's a, it's an organization that's led by people who identify. And so, that must have been quite the transition to go from being the Abilities Festival, which which you know was was a very high profile and well known festival, but but as you said, might might in some way have been run or or organized, or the decisions may have been made by by people who were supportive, but ultimately couldn't identify with the lived experience. So, what was that transition like? And and there must have been challenges that were part of that, and and and, and barriers that you faced as you made this this pivot to being a, an organization by and for uh, deaf, mad, and, and disabled artists? Well, unfortunately, I can't really answer that because it was before my time. I've been, I've been with Tango for three years, and that happened six years ago or so. It was also something that was, it was a conscious choice. There, there was, it was written into a strategic plan um, by the board. There was an executive director who was very conscious of wanting to make that happen and but make that happen in a responsible way like not to just to throw people into an into a position where they would not be supported and able to um succeed Mm -hmm. so unfortunately i can't tell you too much about the the actual transition period sorry so how is how is tangled handling this kind of um environment what kinds of things are you doing as a result of the fact that the gallery's closed that you're not able to have that amazing space that you described, you know, being a, one of solidarity and connection suddenly isn't isn't there right now. Yeah. Well, I think we're probably probably similar to a lot of groups. What one thing we have done is we've just we've chosen to take our time um, in terms of what we wanted to uh, jump back into. Like we noticed that. You know, like the first week after everything closed down, there was this feeling like, oh my gosh, we should put things online and we should produce. And we, as a team, um, sat back and said, no, maybe that's not, maybe that's just adding to this this myth of productivity. And maybe we should hold back and listen and wait and think about what's actually happening instead of, instead of going immediately into we need to do something we need to produce something mm-hmm. um so we've been uh taking our time we've we've been holding our uh bi-weekly staff meetings connecting doing some sort of big thinking uh a lot of yeah a lot of thinking we were due for a, strate- a strategic uh plan reassessment anyway so we've been thinking about a lot about well what 
what is our role? If we don't have a gallery right now, if we're not producing art and putting it in a space, what is what is our purpose? We we know that we have one. We just have to sort of like <laughs> figure out what does that mean in in this space and what translates into when you take away all those artifacts and the and the objects away, what what are we left with? So we've been thinking about a lot about that. Uh, we have been doing a lot of um, people, a lot of our team has been going out to various conferences and panels and such, um, which has been nice. We've been trying to get all of, of, of our six, six to eight people sort of on staff right now um, and trying to get them to have their time in the spotlight to you know, talk about disability arts and, and what that means. Um, there's been a lot of interest in the community on talking about uh, conversations about access and inclusion, which is really fantastic. Hopefully, we will see this translate into uh, some change once we go back to reopening. And then more recently, we actually have started planning for a couple projects. Uh, I think I mentioned that we have a deaf interiors, which will be where we're doing that is actually a creative users project uh, that uh, project creative users project project <laughs> that Tangled is partnering with as well as it will be a City of Toronto cultural hotspot signature piece for 2020 um, and in that there will be six deaf artists who will create interior space they're, they're going to figure out what this means um, originally, the project was about creating actual physical boxes, like six, like almost like a phone booth-sized uh, small gallery, and you would have a, a six artists who would then create little spaces of art. Um, it's being translated now into a virtual thing, sort of going off the idea of like if we're in a Zoom call, we have well, right now we have three little boxes, right? So they will have their six little boxes, and that they can create some sort of expresses how they get around in the world and how they feel about where they are and how they navigate spaces that aren't necessarily set up to make them feel included. That sounds amazing. Do you, do you know, have you selected the artists who are going to participate in that? Not yet. We do have our two, we have two co-leads, uh, Sage, um, Sage Willow and Peter Ousa Ansa are uh, taking on the leads as the lead artists and facilitators, but we have a call out right now. So we're waiting for the submissions to come in. I don't know what, uh, I don't know what we've got so far. <laughs> Great. So is it an open call? Is it something like, like yeah. somebody can go to your website? And yeah. Find yeah. Or creative users um, or Tangled, yeah. If I remember correctly, you had a show um, planned for right around mid-March when all of this happened. We sure did. We had this amazing, we have this amazing show. It's still in the gallery. The show called Thaumaturgy it involves four Indigenous artists each took a direction and a, a direction on um, the compass, <laughs> as well as a element. So water, fire, earth, wind. Then it's this, the space is then set up almost like a, almost like a medicine wheel sort of thing. And it's a beautiful show. It's just, it's a gorgeous show. And we were supposed to have our opening on March 13th. <laughs> which we were all set up for. We had the caterer bring in like loads of food and 
we were all we were going to have that opening up to probably about two o'clock that afternoon, <laughs> and it was strange because we we're just watching the news and getting reports on our phones and such about the various things that are closing and this dot like it felt like a bunch of dominoes and we're watching the dominoes falling closer closer to us and then finally when uh, I, I think the elder who was going to be opening the space uh called in feeling ill and we're like this is not a good sign we are just yeah no we're closing oh, no. so yeah we invited everybody who was left in the 401 building to come down and eat the piles of food that we had and drink some of the piles of alcohol we had and that was our opening and then we closed <laughs> so yeah it's we're gonna hold on to the show um hopefully we can have it up for people to see it a little bit at some point if we reopen it, it i mean i saw the website and it really did have have amazing work in it are, are you thinking like some of the other toronto galleries i've seen that maybe by appointment or other soft reopening might be a possibility yeah we, we've been talking about how that's going to happen and i think it would be by like yeah by appointment we we haven't settled uh hard and fast rules yet but certainly limited number of people in there looking at maybe maybe there'll be a flow that you, you go in the same so that people aren't mingling crossing over um we're trying to work with there's there's so many galleries in 401 so we're trying to work um in harmony with whatever the the building codes and the decisions so that people can come into 401 and feel confident that the rules are going to be the same and it seems to me you might have a different set of concerns than a than a mainstream gallery. So if if again you have uh, artists or, or or visitors who are deaf, uh, a mask rule you know obviously becomes much more complex than it would be for people who don't think about inclusion and, and disability from the start. Yeah, and well, one of the things you know we've always entangled. We try to include some sort of tactile component mm -hmm. often uh, for people uh, blind with low vision, and that's. But we're now it's like, well, what, how are we going to do that? So I guess we're going to have to be very clear about if, if we are including tactile elements that, that sanitized really mm -hmm. methodically, or if we have audio component, we will often do audio tours and have headphones and things, you know, just to, to integrate different senses. Yeah. But what does that mean? So we'll have to, maybe our audio tours are on people's phones and not using our headsets. That's, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Is, is there a role you're thinking thinking about in terms of uh, digital uh, technologies, maybe the web or mobile apps or other things that would that would extend the reach of the tangled space to people's homes and that kind of thing? Yes, but we don't know the specifics yet. We're gonna when we get to get together, and we're actually hoping to partner with some uh, some groups that might have a little bit more knowledge about some of the available tech. We're not super tech savvy in terms of cutting edge, but the, you know, if there's ever a time to to really expand on that, this is this is the moment, right? That's amazing. And if if we can help at at the IDRC, this is something mm. that's very interesting. To you know, big important part of of our research is access to culture and to creativity and who mm. who has a voice in expressing themselves. So I take you up on that. <laughs> we can work on something together. <laughs> You can't see in the podcast, but I'm doing the evil, the evil hand thing. <laughs> Could you expand a little on different modes or forms of art? 
how you translate the original art pieces into another form of representation like tactile sound and so on is there any procedure for that well we're always we're always trying to increase um access points in the gallery that's so we don't we're always figuring it out we often will try to invite artists to start from a place of inclusion so start by thinking about how how can you put people into your exhibition when we're adding components on it really is it's really a case by case basis so we would always have an ASL vlog of uh, artist statements, for example. In terms of our audio tour, we have done, um, we work with some audio describers, um, some professional ones. We've also had some training for our staff and some volunteers so that we can do some of that ourselves. There's techniques of, of doing that. And we're also interested in if we, if, for example, we're doing an audio description of, of playing with the artistry, the potential artistry of that. It doesn't have to be. If you're, if you're describing something and recording it, then it, you, have, you have choices, right? And there's, there's an, a, a level of potential artistic integration that you can put onto that. We like to try to get artists to be engaged in those, in, in translating, uh, so that it's not, so that the artistic vision is, um, is consistent and that there's not something artificial that's grafted onto um, what an artist wants to say. So if there's a if there's an artist, we, we will often ask artists if they if they have a show that doesn't have already have a, a tactile component, we'll invite them to create something and say, well, you know, look looking at what you've got here, can you create something that in the same idea that that will translate what you want? So for example, the very first show in the Tangle Art Gallery was uh, Constructed Identities by Persimmon Blackbridge. Brilliant show. It, it involved these um, figurines that were all maybe about 18 inches tall-ish that were these, these forms that were physical or bodies. They were bodies, but they were con constructed with these hodgepodge of, of uh, doll parts pieces of, of wood and bone and, and um, then artificial like metal and these, these little figurines that were incredibly complicated and incredibly beautiful. Um, but they were all very fragile. So this was on the show, but we, well, not me, but I believe it was Eliza at the time, um, asked Persimmon if uh, she would make a tactile piece, which she then did. And it, it was a much more sturdy piece that had a lot of, a lot of texture, but People could actually get their hands on it and and get a sense of what these these figurines were like. <laughs> Any other specifics, Kevin? That uh... actually I remember that show and it was quite impressive. Yeah. Really. Do you think these translations, these alternative modes of art, are standalone pieces or kind of continuous and transitional forms of the original artwork? Or what is the line here? Um, what's the originality here? A group of objects and components together making an art form or individual elements that refer to one art piece? Well, I think they can be. And that's like some of the most exciting uh, work. But, but some, well, personally, I, I think some of the most exciting work is um, where 
the artists take advantage of those alternative modes of avenues into their art and look at the, the artistic potential of those to make it more, uh, just more multi-leveled. Multi um, I think that's the, that can be the most exciting thing. Instead of so taking access and putting it at the heart of the piece instead of as an afterthought. And that creates these just really overwhelmingly beautiful things. If you if you are not expecting to be moved by an audio description because it has some sort of poetry to it or or uh, or even looking at like the ASLs as an interpretation and can it, it's it's such a beautiful language. And if you it, it, to be there, be there amongst people who are, you know, speaking with each other and trans, it, it, and and just the the effect of being immersed in a mult uh, art that's the art is just it's like stacked full of beauty. It's <laughs> it can be it can be just amazing. So uh, it, so that's it can be. It's not always, but. Certainly, I think that's what we would aspire to: is that all those, all those ways, all those ways in, can contain the, the artfulness. What, what's interesting to me with that kind of situation is also the way these different things, they may or may not stand alone on their own, but when they're combined, they sort of amplify and, like, like change your perspective on a work by virtue of the fact that. You're not, let, let's say it's a, a visual art piece, a painting, you're not just looking at it, but you're also hearing um, an interpretation of it, or maybe you're hearing a story about it, or maybe you're hearing ideas from the artists themselves, or from curators, or from the audience who have reflected on it. You get all of these, like it's a, it's a, it's a kind of hyper-relational thing happening, where you have all these connections and relationships that form, and you as the, as the viewer, or experiencer, I guess, of the artwork then kind of gets to find your own path through all that, all those different connections. Well, it's very much like what you were saying about, you know, translating from one, uh, one form of art to another. It's like, you, you know, one thing will never be exactly the same. You'll never get a direct, complete translation of one to another, but you can get sort of these resonance, right? And it's almost like a choir where, where the sound, people's voices, you're singing the same note, but they're never quite the same. And it just makes it the sound bigger and better and, and more, <laughs> more, ooh, <laughs> resonant, you know? It is interesting thinking, I mean, there's a politics to interpretation or to creating alternatives, right? So thinking about um, audio description of film or other visual works, um, I, I think... Some audio describers see themselves as objective, neutral observers. And obviously there's a sense that you might want to hear, hear what's there visually as it is. But of course, we know there's no objectivity. People bring their biases, their viewpoints, their perspectives. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what you were talking about, about the kind of artistry of creating um, alternatives, um, the translation approach, that you're always doing it creatively and realizing that something new gets made it's not just a a filter that you you hear this visual thing it's it's a whole new new artwork that goes with the other one that's true and even even if you don't recognize it as being an artwork it is in translating it you are imposing 
a lot of assumptions, even if you try to be as impartial and objective, which you're right, doesn't exist, <laughs> but you could try to, but there's still all, all of the political, cultural norms that, you, that, that constitute what that is, what objective is in this state, that root it in the time and place of that art. Yeah. And have you had cases where... Uh, artists involved in Tangled have collaborated specifically to get away from this idea that there's there's one master artwork or more mode and then it gets translated into others. But actually, you've maybe got I'm thinking of like, say David Bobier's work with um, sound and tactility, and then how he might work with a visual artist or other things to create works that are accessible and multimodal, but um, without the the single center of oh, this is the first. This is the important artwork, and then we translate it into these other modes. Hmm. You, you stole my example, David. Uh, <laughs> okay, Dave is a great one, though, because you don't, maybe that's partly because it's a rare thing to see vibrotactile as standalone. So maybe that, by, by nature of what David does, probably, I'm blanking on whether or not there's uh, specific examples of, there's certainly, in, certainly anytime artists come together to collaborate. We had a, an interesting uh, collaboration with our Flourishing series. We And we had a young Indigenous artist, um, Mani Oaks, who did a lot of things, um, digging into her heritage, did some uh, sort of rawhide skin stitching and tattooing. This was a seven-artist seven show, but she connected with Richard Harlow, who is a blind painter uh, out in BC, and the two of them just got along famously and decided that they were going to work on a piece together. So they ended up working on a, on a butchery. So, so Mani was looking at the... Uh, I don't know what you, the words you would, the way that you would dissect an animal that mm -hmm. she had been learning. I don't know what the word is for that. Um, but that, you know, some techniques that she'd been learning from her grandparents and that, you know, that there was a lot of ceremony and a lot of, a lot of meaning behind that. So looking at this, this uncovering, dissecting a, an animal and, and then Richard, who's, who did a lot of painting, uh, but did, did a lot of tactile stuff. So the two of them worked on this piece where it was like a, it, it was a dissection scene, but it was tactile, so you could touch it. <laughs> it's like, like, and, and across Canada, which was like this really amazing thing too, the from BC to Thunder Bay. Thinking about different modes of experience ends up raising the stakes mm. hugely, right? And, and, the, and that the artists are working both thematically and right into the material. And, you know, those of us who had experienced this, you know, obviously wouldn't get the same thing if we didn't have the tactile aspect. Whole, whole new layer. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm curious, and it may not, and it may not be germane, but whether there's a, there's a way that you tangled by virtue of how you're structured, you know, run by people with lived experience, is there a way that you make decisions and you plan your strategy? I mean, you're, you're doing all of these things with, you know, your strategic visioning for the next little while and that kind of thing. Do you feel like you have to do it differently by virtue of who you are and how you do things? Yes. I, I think that the, the way that we operate is actually a lot different than most organizations. The way that we, that we operate internally is we, we emphasize a, a crip interdependence, which is mm -hmm. really about having each other's back and having being okay to break down or not be able to do stuff or to ask for help. 
um, this is actually something that now that I've, I've had a number of people come in since I've been hired, it surprises me how often it takes about three months for new employees to actually realize it's okay to ask for help. And in fact, not asking for help when they hit a block is the wrong thing that, that we want them to admit when they've hit something that they can't work through or that they need assistance with that, that the worst thing that they could do is to try to suffer in silence and try to get through something because they feel like they have to perform or mm. that that's a failing on their part i i guess because people feel have, have been felt like they have to show that they're okay this this sense of trying to perform uh, for the world but and we don't we don't we sort of give that up a lot like and that's super functional in the way that we work we don't all do everything that everybody else does but there's enough redundancy in terms of what we're working on and and what we know that we can always catch each other that's amazing i mean there there, there is a real violence cu cultural violence that's done I guess by neoliberalism that says we have to be independent, we have to take care of ourselves and be self-responsible, and it you know creates the situations in which having a community that can be supportive and care for each other is somehow off limits. And people are so afraid of showing any sort of weakness. And what I've seen elsewhere is that people will put on a front, but the moment that they do show that weakness suddenly that people people's attitudes towards them change and they're seen as as unreliable or weak link and that doesn't have to be because everybody is weak sometimes everybody everybody has things that they can't do or, or you know like so it's it's ridiculous to think that that people have to be these these completely autonomous individual paragons of virtue or or whatever like that's that's it's a ridiculous we're just setting ourselves up to fail yeah, it is a ridiculous idea, and yet it's so so pervasive in some mm -hmm. strange way. So, so do you think like like other arts organizations, or maybe other organizations of any kind? What what do you think? What do you think Tangled does and has gotten right that that people should learn from? Well, I think I mean I I think our attitude towards inclusion is pretty good. Not to say that we have it all down pat. We don't, of course not. But the fact that we're forgiving of ourselves. In, in our efforts to be better open is is good. And, and like I said, that sort of radical humanity that people should, it should just be that way. You should, you know, why, why don't we value the people that are in our groups instead of over the positions? Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons actually, to go back to your, uh, the question earlier about collaboration, one of the reasons why it's really good for us to collaborate. We get a lot of people that call up or have come to Tangled and say, we want to be more inclusive. We want to, we want to know how to engage disability communities. Mm. But often what they, what they're thinking is they, they want like a checklist of this is, we're going to, we're going to do this, this, that, and the other thing. And then we're going to, we're going to have it right. And it's going to be good now. And then, then we're going <laughs> to, then we're going to be inclusive, but it's, it's not like that. That's, that's, it's more of the attitude and it's, it's an ongoing dedication to problem solving and seeing individuals for the complicated, multi-layered, intersectional humans that we are, um, that you can't actually, like to be a constant life hacker and, and to, to, to embrace that. And that's something that you can't, you can't just put that as a checkbox. So when we work with groups on a more collaborative, long-term basis, 
people get to see us do that in action and they'll get us they'll they'll get a chance to see us fail and, and try to course correct and and forgive ourselves for saying or doing something really stupid today but tomorrow we'll make it you know we'll we'll work on making that better and that's the point it wasn't the point wasn't to get it right the point was that we're working on well I mean actually getting it right would be nice but you know I, but it but that's just you know we don't always ex- expect it to be right constantly and that's that's why the collaboration is it's so important because you can't you have to sort of experience that you can't say go do that and so so often inclusion and access is superficial right somebody somebody wants to be done with it to achieve some state and then okay now we don't have to worry about that yeah it's done now <laughs> right it's yeah. seeing inclusion as a a negotiation, a culture, mm-hmm. an environment, it's something you're always all, always working through, always having those conversations. Yeah, not, not absolutely. Achieving. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's always it's always as my colleague Sean says, it's the crip horizon. You're never going to get there because it, it's a, it's an impossible state. Yeah, you, you you never you can never I, I can't imagine a, a society where everybody is always included always. It's it's always a yeah, it's always a site of negotiation. Mhm. I mean, I, I think like you, you want to have inclusion and you also want to have space for difference, right? I mean, uh-huh. the, the place that was completely inclusive would also be the one that was undifferentiated. Maybe maybe consumerism is the one place where where everyone is included right now. It's, it's not what you, you want. You want texture. You want um, difference of opinion. You want, well, I mean, to go back to your name, you want things to be a little bit tangled. And sometimes you have to sort them out, and sometimes you want to tangle them up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how boring would that be? I mean, it's like we're 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 fluid beasts that exist in time. I mean, yeah. it's, we we if we don't evolve, then that's what are we? We just be like lumps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, here's a question for you. What do you think of um? You know, there there was I don't know if you saw there was the Beaverton. Uh, joke article about about that Canada is finally supporting artists with a Serb. Right. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> you can't get away from not supporting the you know <laughs> artists. But I do know a number of artists who are now actually having this sort of guaranteed income without having to do you know gig work. Yeah. It's allowed them some flexibility to finish up some projects that they that they wanted to do elsewhere. I wonder if any of the other other artists that you're connecting with have thought about that. What that what that means this this idea of having two thousand bucks a month. Well, you know, it, it's funny because this also brings up questions like universal basic income, which mm-hmm. I think becomes more complex for people with disabilities. In that many of the models of of universal basic income tend to risk taking away things like um, disability subsidies. So is there, you know, on the surface, I think I think some of this could be amazing, but is it going to reflect the diversity of needs? Mm-hmm. The fact that assistive technologies um, or having a helper come in and, and work with you costs more money. <laughs> um, so, so can if there's if there's these subsidies of any kind, can they reflect the diversity of needs mm-hmm. and the systemic inequalities that are that are often part of this? Uh, Tangled Art plus disability. We do our website is tangledarts.org. Uh, we have a newsletter that you can sign up on that first page. 
Uh, we have a gallery, but it's closed right now, <laughs> which is in, which is once the 401 Richmond building is open uh, again, we are there. Well, I'm really looking forward to the day when I can come to the gallery and, and see you, visit you, and, and see the show that, um, that didn't, didn't quite open. <laughs> it was episode 12. We want to thank Sin for accepting our invitation and all of you for listening. As always, Marshall Bureau composed all tracks for quantization. We appreciate the continuous support of the Inclusive Design Research Center at OCAD University. Please check out our website, quantization.ca, for more episodes and full transcripts, and come back for upcoming episodes. Quantization Podcast.